You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition and their new Centerfire Rifle Ammunition Terminal Ascent. Now, the terminal ascent has a slipstream polymer tip that helps flatten trajectories and initiates low-velocity expansion at longer ranges. The terminal ascent gives you match-grade long-range accuracy in a bonded hunting bullet, and it comes in a variety of cartridges, including the 6.5 Creedmoor, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 28 Nosler, the 7mm Remington Mag 30-06, and the 300 Win Mag. If you want to find more information about the Terminal Ascent, visit federalpremium.com. And while you're there, check out It's Federal Season, the official podcast of Federal Ammunition. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Hopefully, either you're successful or you're still hunting there right now. Whether you're trying to fill the freezer with some does or if it's brown, it's down. Or if you're after specific bucks, man, I am sending good vibes your way. I was straight up lucky enough to... You know, I'm looking at the the skull cap in the rack right now on one of the coffee tables in my office, and uh, I, I look at it and I laugh because I put in all this hard work and strategy and setting tree stands and running and gunning and and looking at maps and and trying to figure out how deer you know use terrain and where the does are going to be and what are the food sources and travel corridors and. I shoot my deer off the ground walking to where I was going to hang one of my tree stands. And uh, I tell the full story in this episode, but there's some years where the strategy is important and then don't get me wrong because I'll take it. There's some years where luck plays a little bit bigger of a hand and uh, I'm not complaining, man. It's one of the best bucks that I've ever shot and uh, I'm happy for you know, shooting it. And I'm happy that I got the meat at the processor. And uh, I'm just overall happy that it it turned out the way it did. And I'll tell you one person who's really happy. And that is my wife, that it didn't take two weeks this year to kill a deer, man. Um, The kids are are happy to see me as well. And now I can get back to work here on the Sportsman's Nation. But uh, we have a really good episode. Justin Czar, he slayed two beasts this rut and uh, or this year and uh, he tells those stories I tell my story and it's just uh, a really good episode of a you know a couple success stories from some guys who absolutely love to hunt whitetails specifically bow hunt whitetails and uh, I always love having Justin on the show because I, I really relate to him and how he hunts and you know juggling family and the passion and work and all that stuff so we got a really good episode today 
Um, stay tuned for later this week on the second episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles that I launch, where we're going to do another like real short 12 to 15 minute recap of what I feel people should be doing or what I would be doing if I wasn't tagged out um, and where I'd be hunting and all the strategy involved uh, that that goes with that. So keep an eye out for that later this week. Uh, we got to do a real quick commercial. Average conservationist. Now, the average conservationist was uh, is an apparel company, right? This this is the the high level version. It's an apparel company that makes hats, t-shirts, and sweat you know sweaters and uh, different types of apparel with some really kick ass logos on it, and that's cool. But what makes that cool is that they donate ten percent of their profits to conservation and recently the average conservationist became two percent for conservation certified now the sportsman's nation is two percent for conservation certified but the average conservationist just became two percent for conservation certified so that's a big deal right they're two percent for conservation certified they donate ten percent of all profits to conservation and the cherry on top is that their t-shirts fit really well they're very soft their hats are kick-ass they have they have tons of great logo wear and uh it's just a, a company that i'm proud to support and promote here on the nine finger chronicle so check out the average conservationist.com and uh buy some of their gear and wear it around man other than that i think let me see here I think that's it, man. Make sure you guys are subscribed to the uh, Sportsman's Nation RSS feeds. Make sure you're subscribed to the Nine Finger Chronicles. Follow me on Instagram and Facebook. And, uh, man, I hope you guys enjoy this episode because I I love, um, you know, replaying this story and sharing the story in my head because it really was a little bit of luck. But, you know, I still had to make the shot and I drilled that son of a gun uh, we talked about that in this episode. So without further ado, here's Justin Czar and me recapping our 2020 rut. Three, two, one. All right. Back on the phone with me, the deer slayer himself, Mr. Justin Czar. What's up, dude? Just another beautiful day here, buddy. Finally got some cold weather rolling in. But, but I have no buck tags left. So. <laughs> <laughs> right? Everybody was bitching and complaining about how hot it was, and I killed my deer when it was 73 degrees outside, and I'll take that any day, right? I don't have to be out in yeah. this gnarly, windy cold front that's uh, coming through Iowa right now. And uh, uh, did you shoot yours, what, two days ago? Uh, well, dude, I think it was the same day you killed yours, right? Saturday was it Saturday? The seventh. Saturday. Yeah, the seventh. The seventh. Yeah. yeah, it was like seventy, seventy-one, maybe something like that. I think is what my truck said when yeah. I pulled up to to park for that night, seventy-two. Nice. But yeah, it was uh, it was a warm one. Actually, before I went hunting that afternoon, I had to go dig through a duffel bag because I had put all my light like my early season hunting clothes. I'd put them all away. Yeah. Because I was like, I don't need these. Yeah put this stuff away till next year and i had to go find my bag and dig them out and they weren't washed or anything i was just like yeah whatever good enough like pants and a jacket let's go hunting yeah i'll tell you my my hunting clothing for the mornings was like uh, a merino wool t-shirt a pair of jeans and you know some wool socks and and my 
my boots that I use when I go out west. And then my uh, my afternoon is a pair of khaki jeans, that same merino wool base layer, and the safety harness. And that's it, man. Like, that's it. That was yep. it. And then towards the end yeah, of the like, night. But like you said, dude, I'm not going to complain. Oh, no. Like, I know that the weather wasn't like what we envisioned for the first week in November and we want cold and everything, but like, it was kind of nice. Let's admit, mm-hmm. like, it was kind of nice to just sit out there and enjoy an evening and not freeze your balls off. Well, and it wasn't even humid. Yeah, the temperature was in the 70s, but it wasn't humid. And I think I broke a sweat one day setting up a tree stand uh, on a running gun. And that was it. Everything else was just, right. it was gravy, man. Yeah. You're not dying of heat like right. you are in the early season. Right. So yeah, it was, it was all good, but those days are now over my man. The front is here and the cold weather is coming. Yeah. Do you have any doe tags left? Yeah, we can shoot as many does as we want, as many does as we can buy tags for here in Illinois. Yeah. So I don't know what I'm going to do, you know, between my son and I, we've shot three deer now, plus I shot an antelope. So it's like my freezer's awful full. I'm not really sure I need to shoot a doe. Um, I have a lot of people that want meat though, that are like, they're like, if you shoot a deer, I'll literally take the whole thing. Yeah. So, I mean, people that hunt, people that don't hunt, like just, just people want deer meat. So I don't know. My son is kind of like hell bent. He wants to go try to shoot a, a trophy doe. So if we get some, some weather in December, that's not like God awful, terrible. I may take them out to the blind. We'll run the little buddy heater in there and see if we can shoot a doe. Yeah, that's a good idea. So, uh, kind of real quick, I saw the pictures of your, uh, your sons like going out on the stock and being part of that whole, uh, that whole situation after you killed your, your most recent deer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, like What's that like? Are, are are they as excited as you, even though they didn't technically kill it? Yeah, I, th- I like to think so anyways. I mean, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, they have a blast. So my oldest boy is is eight, right? And he shot his first deer this year. That was kind of one of my goals was to get him out. He wanted to shoot a deer. He was freaking hellbent to shoot one. So, you know, we practiced all summer. We got the crossbow for him. And, um, dude, I mean, he was lights out with the thing. So I took him out, you know, he actually passed up a couple button bucks that he could have shot, but he he said he didn't want to shoot fawn. And I was like, dude, you're eight. (laughs) Like you should shoot any deer that walks in front of it. It's like, are you sure you don't want to shoot it? He's like, yeah, I I want a buck or I want a big doe. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm not going to make you shoot this thing if you don't want to. So, you know, he ended up shooting a nice year and a half old buck, um, you know, in, in, I don't know, middle of October, um, and he was super excited about that. And then he's got to go on a couple of recoveries with me this year, either for me or for like local friends. Yeah. Um, so he's, he's super excited about it. And this deer that I shot on Saturday, um, my buddy, Tommy came out and helped me do the recovery. He brought his son, Jack, who's 12. Um, and my son, Joey's eight. So like, we let those two like do the recovery, even though I saw the deer run 40 yards and fall over dead. You know, we started at the tree, found blood, let the kids follow the blood trail to the deer like those are the best ones where you know it's going to end like quickly and they shouldn't have a problem finding it right you know unfortunately the first couple tracks i brought my son on when he was like four and five were like uh this isn't going the way i wanted to we're gonna have to come back in the morning yeah (laughs) so 
this was a good one for him. Well, I tell you what, with him passing up deer like that, he's probably already ruined. The next thing he's going to ask is, hey, hey, Dad, can we move to Iowa? Yeah, well, that's okay. I'm cool with that. <laughs> I mean, one more voice in the house saying we should move to Iowa might help my cause. Right, right. So... Well, I'm yeah. thinking. I'm thinking today we talk a little bit about our deer seasons up to this day, up to this point. Um, uh, me and you will kind of bounce back and forth between our stories of how our seasons went, our the the bucks that we harvested and, and killed and whatnot, and then uh, you know just uh, BS along the way. So, I guess what we'll do is we'll kind of get right into the you know in chronological order. When you, sh- when did you shoot your first buck and was that in Illinois as well? Yeah. Yeah. As a resident, we can shoot two bucks here. So I shot my first deer. Um, I think it was October 28th, if okay. I recall. Okay. And is this a buck that you knew about? Was he on trail cams, all that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the kind of backstory there is that Todd and I were going to go do like, uh, day and a half or two days of just hunting public land here in Illinois. Mm-hmm. So we took, I think it was a Wednesday, Thursday, if I recall, we took those two days out of the office. We drove out, we went to some public, you know, I did some, I did a bunch of scouting like that Wednesday afternoon. I walked a bunch of ground. Some of it I had walked before, some of it I haven't um, decided where to set up for the evening. Todd set up as well. And neither one of us saw a deer that night. And Todd, he's just not made like he's just not made for the public land thing. Like, he's just like, and, and admittedly so he was like dude this is great this is a beautiful country there's good deer here there's good deer sign here he's like but i got a bunch of farms with a bunch of deer on them that i put a lot of time and effort into and like the conditions are right i want to go to those farms i feel like i'm i'm doing myself a disservice by not hunting the areas that i have worked to hunt all year which I kind of agreed with, right? I wanted to do our little public thing a little bit earlier in the season. Um, but regardless, so we got done hunting that night and Todd goes, uh, I know where I'm going tomorrow morning and it's not here. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, well, shoot, man, if you're not coming here, like I was like, I'm just going to go to my lease. I had a lease that was about 40 minutes from, from Todd's property. So I crashed there that night. I went to my lease in the morning. Um, and this was the first year that walked by me you know, that morning. And, and the strange thing about that piece of property is I've been hunting it for, I want to say nine years. I think 2011 we started was our first year on that farm. And there was a couple of years that I didn't hunt there. I had other pieces of property. So I let a couple of my buddies kind of take my spot on that lease for a few years, but let's say seven years I've, I've hunted that property. I've only killed one buck off of it ever. And this year was a really weird year for trail cameras. Like they're just like a bunch of the deer that we know made it through shed season last year. Like disappeared now whether they moved off whether they got killed died of old age hit by a car like i don't know what happened to them but they disappeared and there was literally like no deer that i was excited about shooting on that farm that i had on on trail camera right not that something can't show up but i was just like man there's just not anything really going on here um the deer i shot was a real nice three-year-old buck i had a bunch of pictures of him he was one of the nicer deer on the farm so i was kind of on the fence of whether i wanted to shoot him or not um, but when he came marching up the trail, picture perfect or 25 yards, I was like, yep, he looks pretty good. He's getting it. Gonna shoot him. Yeah. So yeah, shot him that, that morning. Let me ask you this. Cause I had a similar scenario in Iowa this year where 
I wasn't necessarily really excited going into the season because compared to most years, I, I would say I had a down year in trail camera inventory. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that all the deer had just straight up disappeared because, you know, I hunt in a really good area, things show up, things happen, and a big deer will always come through the area. But I only had one shooter buck at the beginning of the season, like going into like say early October that showed up on trail camera. And I was excited to hunt that deer, but the rest of the farm was kind of dead. Like there were, there was a couple four-year-olds there, but nothing, you know, like, you, you know, where people say, Oh dude, I'm shooting any four-year-old that walks by. That's awesome. But I'm not going to shoot a 120 inch four-year-old, like unless he's, I don't know. I just, I, I passed a couple four-year-olds this year that just didn't do it for me. And I, I was kind of down. I, I, sh- I shouldn't say down. I was not as excited uh, as I had been in the past due to the different inventory that I had on camera this year. Is that, is that yeah, something that similar that, that you went through? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we, I, like I said, we've been on this farm nine years and there's never been a year when there hasn't been two or three bucks that I was really interested in shooting going into the season, mm-hmm. you know, and at, at the end of last year, we had just a mega three-year-old. It was probably like a, if I had to guess what he scored last year, it was probably in the one forties. It was wide. He was tall. Like it was just a beautiful deer. And I was like, gosh, that deer is the type of deer that's going to go from three to four. And he's going to pack on 20 plus inches. You know, he's going to be a giant. And I know he made it through the season. I got pictures of him all the way until after the season was over. And then, um, that was it. We never saw him again. Like he never showed up. Uh, there was another good three-year-old on that farm. Uh, there was a, just a real nice 10 pointer, tall tines, kind of tight. Um, and I was really excited for him to see what he turned into this year. He ended up last year in December, he showed up on trail camera and he had like a, I don't know if it was an abscess or a cyst or some sort of injury, like on his face, like on his jaw. Yeah. And, uh, eventually it went away. Um, it was there for maybe like two months and then it went away. And then his rack this year is all funky. He's got one big, strong five-point side. And then the other side and the opposite from where the injury or abscess was at is just like a nothing little three-point garbage side. Yeah. You know, so I was like, all right. I mean, I would shoot him if he came by me. He's a nice four-year-old. But, like, I wasn't excited to go hunt him. Yeah. It was not like I was going to hunt him down or wait for him. Um, and then we had one other deer that's a five-year-old, but it's like he hasn't really gotten any bigger from three to five. Yeah. You know, he's basically stayed this. He's gotten a little bit wider. You know, he's you know he might have scored in the 130s as a five-year-old, and then he busted off like five inches on, on one of his beams. So, again, it was like a deer that I actually just got a trail camera picture of him today on the cell cam. So I know he's there. He's running around. Um, and I would have shot him. He was more of a target of opportunity than a deer that I wanted to go after. So, yeah, I mean, it takes the wind out of your sails a little bit. But then at the same time, I was like, I still enjoy hunting that farm. It's a fun place to hunt. I see a lot of deer. And uh, I was like, it was nice because I didn't have to be too picky, if that makes sense. Yeah. I was like, you know what? There's not like one deer out here that I want to just hold out for. So any deer that walks by that I feel like shooting, I'm just going to shoot it. And I'm not going to feel bad about it. Yeah. How does, you, how does your strategy change or your planning change? for Illinois knowing that you get to shoot two bucks? Oh, dude, it's totally different, right? I mean, the first deer I shot was like 135-inch 10-point that 
if I only had a single tag in my pocket may have gotten a pass. Yeah. Right. And I think there's probably a lot of guys like that. I mean, when you know, you got that second tag in your pocket, you know, a deer that comes by that you're like, eh, should I, or should I not? It makes it a lot easier to be like, Oh yeah, killing this one. Cause I still got one more right. tag in my pocket for sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's something that yeah, I guess I've never had to really worry about here in Iowa. My goal is someday is to own land and that's the only way I'm able to get a second bow tag for Iowa to right. get a landowner's uh, tag. But yeah, it's, uh, I passed, I'll be honest in, in the, f- man, I want to say the first three, the first four days, it would have been the, the last couple days of October and the first day of no, was it November? I would, I would say the last couple days of October, I passed two really good four-year-olds. I think one of them probably was three, but I knew like it was, it was hard for me to do that knowing, but I knew that I hadn't made it to my main farm yet. And I knew that I had the potential to chase something, you know, extraordinary out there. And, uh, it, I don't know, it, it almost makes you, and I document everything too. So it almost makes me seem, I don't know. Let me, let me hear your, your thoughts on this. When you see someone passing uh, say I don't want to say an influencer, but someone who shares their content. When you see somebody passing four-year-olds or you know 140-inch deer, what does what kind of message does that give off? Man, I don't know. I think it de- depends on who's watching it because I think everybody has got a different interpretation of what that means. Right. You know, I but I will tell you this: it is. The message that it gives off to adults can be probably interpreted vastly different than what I see kids interpret it as. Like my kid, right, as an eight-year-old, every deer that we get on camera or somebody shoots or whatever, the only question he asks me is how old is that deer? He doesn't even – I don't even think he knows what score means. It's all about age. Dad, how old is that deer? Is that deer four? Is he five? Is he three? Like he constantly is worried about – age and and dude he watches youtube hunting shows like it's going out of style yeah you know he was like watching video game shows and then ever since hunting season started this year and he's been going like i come home from work and dude he's watching the hunting public he's watching deer society he's watching bomar like all these youtube like just nonstop. yeah and uh you know he's constantly talking about age so I don't know. It's just weird. They're like little sponges. It's amazing on what, what they pick on, pick up on. And sometimes maybe we don't realize, um, in our conversations, how we come across to other people, whether they be young hunters, non-hunters. Um, I'm not so much worried about like the experienced guys that's been doing it for 20, 30 years. Like his opinions are probably pretty well formed at that point. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily, like I look at those people that are passing like 140 inch four year old deer. And I just look at the, like the context of who that hunter is, where they're at, what their experience is. Like I, I like to take in the whole picture before I form any sort of like opinion on it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I, dude, you live in Iowa. Like it's a different world when it comes to the deer hunting yeah. situation out there. Like it just is, there's, yeah. there's no doubt about it, even compared to Illinois here. Uh, so like I hear you pass 140 inch four year old. I'm like, yeah, no big deal. Some of the guys on our team, Clinton, Frank, Tyler, like those guys down in central Illinois that, you know, have a lot of bigger other deer around, like no big deal. 
you know, me, like I'm probably not passing a four-year-old. Like I don't care what he scores yeah. <laughs> if he comes by me. Yeah. So kind of getting back into the, the order of things here, you, you, you got that deer, right? And, you know, then how much time did you have dedicated to get back to your, now you shot this deer on a different lease or a different property closer to home? No, this deer was shot on my lease farther out west. Okay. So Northwestern Illinois. Northwestern. Okay. All right. So yep. how, how much time did you have dedicated to getting out there and, and hunting? Uh, to be honest with you, I wasn't planning on making a lot of trips out there because there wasn't anything I was super excited about hunting. Yeah. And I had a couple deer here close to home on one of my home farms that I wanted to chase. Um, so I, I can't say that I had set aside like any specific block of time to go out there. Um, but you know, the thing is, so two of the far, I hunt three different pieces of property. Two of them I hunt with, with my buddy, Mike Willand. And it's just the two of us on those properties and neither one of them hold a ton of deer or a ton of big bucks. They're both good properties and they produce nice animals. Um, but we both, we've instituted kind of a rule between us that we, it's just our one buck rule, right? So, I mean, each one of us is only allowed to shoot one buck off of those farms respectively. Yeah. Right. So I knew that when I shot that deer on my lease, like I was done there for the year, I wasn't going to shoot it another buck um occasionally we'll make an exception like if we have one very specific deer that we're going after like we'll say like hey if you want to go hunt and try to go after that one deer like no big deal but like neither one of us want to go out there and both slam a, a you know two three-year-olds you know we end up shooting two or three of them off of a farm in a year you know that's a good way to kind of ruin the future yeah for you you know so we had this and that was honestly my first sit of the year on that farm first sit first hour shoot a buck and I'm done, which is a little bittersweet. Um, so at that point, I knew I was pretty much, you know, going to be hunting the home farms from there on out. Yeah. So the buck that you you ended up shooting is yep. is, is that a deer you knew about? I and mean, did he show up on trail cameras or cell cams, or is this just a yeah. straight up rando? Yeah. No, this is a deer that we've known. So when I look at the home farm that we hunt, um, Mike and I going into the season. There was, there was four deer we would, would have loved to have shot. One of those deer, I don't even, like, I put them on the list because we get trail camera pictures of them in August, September, maybe the first day or two of October, and then he disappears. And sometimes he shows back up before the season ends, but most of the time it's not till after the season. Um, so, like, he's on the list, and he's probably six or seven years old now, and it's a deer we would absolutely die to shoot but he's just never around so it's like he's more of a target of opportunity the other three bucks were definitely like deer that we knew had sheds to multiple years of trail camera pictures uh so there was really three main deer on that farm uh that the two of us wanted to shoot mike was was fortunate enough to shoot one of them on it was like the 25th i want to say or 26 something like that of october he shot one of them actually the the biggest of the bunch um he was a four-year-old deer, but just an absolute giant four-year-old. He ended up going like 167 with like uh, five inches of broken tine. So it probably would have been over 170. Um, just an absolute gorgeous, gorgeous buck that he shot. Um, but with the one buck rule, I knew Mike was done on that farm, which left essentially two other five-year-old bucks that I was going to be going after. And I kind of had my heart set on shooting one of the two of them, or at least trying to shoot one of the two of them. Um, for the remainder of the season. 
Okay. So, uh, was he a homebody? I mean, did, was he showing up on trail camera r- religiously or, you know, I, I know you use cell cams. Was there any cell cams yep. on that, on that, uh, farm sending back Intel to you? Yeah, I think I got three or four of them and that's a pretty big farm. I 600 acres, maybe something like that. Um, I didn't have a ton of camera. So that's three or four cameras sounds like a lot, but for that much ground, it's really not. Right. Um, the particular deer that I ended up shooting um, was not really much of a homebody this year, or maybe I just didn't have a camera with where he was living. Uh, I got some pictures of him in velvet this year, and then I got maybe two hard horn pictures of him this fall. Uh, I think the last picture I got of him was maybe like uh, the 20th of October, something like that. Had not seen him since. In fact, he wasn't really the deer I was targeting per se. Uh, that evening I was going after the other buck who I had seen, um, about two weeks earlier and was getting fairly regular pictures of. So I was actually going after the other five-year-old deer, uh, when this one happened to come strolling by me randomly. Yeah. Yeah. So let me, let me ask you this. I want you to describe the terrain that that you were hunting, that this buck was living in, um, what he was doing and how you set up on that. Sure. Well, I mean, our terrain where I live here in Northern or Northeastern Illinois is pretty dang flat for the most part. There's really no terrain features to speak of, you know, in terms of like ridges, saddles, stuff like that. I mean, it's pretty dang flat, um, very isolated pockets of timber here and there. Most of them are not very big. The timber that we do have is extremely overtaken by buckthorn, uh, which means you can't really hunt it very well because you can't see, you can't shoot through it. It's just uh, it's an awful plant. You guys have probably heard me talk about it before. Um, but so it's, the great, I, it's great for deer. No, the, I don't know, dude. It has no nutritional value. They really don't like to bed in it. Really? Um, it attracts a lot of raccoons and coyotes. Okay. Um, because it kills out all the underbrush underneath. Like it's an awful plant. I, I hate it. It is literally the worst plant. I must be thinking of, ever put on this planet. I must be thinking of something else. So is this buckthorn? Is it like a big bush with thorns on it, like it, a locust no, tree? No, it doesn't really have. It's it's a deceiving name because it, it's not like a locust. I mean, it does have some spiny kind of thorns on it once it gets big enough. But I mean, it's it'll grow into a tree. I mean, it'll grow twenty feet tall. Okay. You know, and what happens is, you know, some of those, these farms that, are, that we're hunting here, they're, um, this particular one is a, is a dairy farm. Um, but, you know, back in the day when they had, you know, cattle actually grazing around, um, there's a lot of like huge oak trees. And then what happens is this buckthorn comes in and takes over the understory. So you have these giant towering oak trees, maybe some cherry trees around. Um, and then the understory is literally nothing but buckthorn. I like gotcha. it, it's so thick, you can't even walk through it. Um, like I said, it's got zero nutritional value. The deer will eat the berries off of it in late, 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 late season, like January and February when there's nothing else to eat, but then it gives them like diarrhea. So you walk around, you see all this like weird deer crap all over the place. It's because they're eating those buckthorn berries. I gotcha. Um, yeah, it's a highly invasive, just awful freaking plant. So this farm is really overrun with that. Um, it's got some water on it, so it's got some creeks and ponds. It's got a lot of irrig- man-made irrigation ditches that aren't used for irrigation anymore, but they were put there you know, many, many years ago. Um, because it's a working dairy farm, 
they basically plant it every year in corn that's harvested for silage. Okay. Uh, and then they have a lot of alfalfa fields as well. So it's all planted for food to, to feed the cows on the farm. So once that silage gets cut uh, and then they pump the fields full of cow manure, um, a lot of the fields are just, I mean, they're, they're worthless they're for done. hunting purposes. Yeah. Unless you're trapping coyotes or maybe shooting geese. But for deer hunting, they're, they're nothing. So all we really got for a food source is – uh, we got some pretty big green alfalfa fields, which is nice, um, and that's that's about it. Obviously, acorns, just like anywhere else, um, we do have a lot of oaks, um, so acorns, and then just other natural browse. So is that know, these deer? Is that the deer alfalfa? In, is that yeah. food plots planted by you, or is that alfalfa for the cattle from the farmer? That that's stuff for the cattle. From gotcha. The farmer. I don't have okay. any food plots on this farm at all. Okay. Um, we used to try to put some little ones in, and it was just too much of a pain in the ass. Um, so we, we stopped that. So it's all, we're hunting natural food sources, you know, natural pinches, um, like real hunting, (laughs) how it it used to be where we actually have to go after the deer versus luring the deer to us. Yeah. You know, it's funny how hunting has changed through the years. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is no food plots, all just timber and field edges and swamps and stuff like that. Gotcha. Gotcha. So. I'm sorry, dude. My son just got up here. I'm going to have to hit pause once. All right, go ahead and continue. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's basically the the terrain that we're hunting. Um, So let's talk about this particular hunt and this particular deer. So this deer, uh, to bring up the age, I mean, he's a five-year-old deer. Um, We've had multiple years of trail camera pictures. Um, My buddy Mike that I hunt with is a big shed hunter. I just suck at shed hunting. And I've always sucked at it. Uh, I just like, I can go shed hunting with somebody and they'll find five and I'll find one if I'm lucky. (laughs) You know, it's just like, I don't, I don't know why. Like some people have a knack for it. They're just really good at it. And Mike is really good at shed hunting. So he goes and picks up all the sheds on the farm and then I get to look at him. I find maybe like one a year out there. So he had, you know, four sheds off this buck from the last couple of years. He had a match set as a two-year-old and then one side each as a three and as a four-year-old. Yeah. Um, but like I said, he, he didn't really seem to be a homebody this year. Or if, if he was, um, I just didn't have a camera where he was at. I didn't run a lot of cameras this year. I was just too busy doing other stuff. Um, so in any case, I hadn't seen this deer in a few weeks. Uh, I had seen the other buck. He was on camera quite a bit. Um, so what I decided to do for this evening sit was to go um, hang in a tree where I'd never hunted before. So obviously with this really warm weather that we had, we had some pretty stiff south and southwest winds. Yeah. Uh, and most of my rut spots, like my November spots, are mostly set up for northwest winds or west winds. I don't have a lot of south winds spots that I was really excited about. So what I decided to do was go into an area where I always wanted a stand that I scout every year that we've shed hunted over there and it just looked like a good area. And it's to the north of the stand where I, I shot my buck last year. And I'm in the timber normally. And then to the north of me is kind of a big swampy area. And multiple times I've seen deer cutting across the swampy area, um, basically heading east to west, paralleling. There's kind of a, a creek or almost a pond that's in the middle of it. And so what I decided to do was get up as close to the creek or the pond as I could on the south side of it. Um, with my wind blowing up over the pond and hope anything that was passing 
to the south of me, I'd be able to get a shot at, right? So I basically decided where I wanted to go based on, on two things, scouting from many previous years and going, I really should be hunting over here. And then number two, like all the sightings that I had had of deer basically using this area from a, a different stand. So um, funny story, uh, I've been doing a little bit of saddle hunting this year. I just kind of wanted to try it out, see what all the hype was about. So um, I thought you weren't into fats. <laughs> I'm not, I, I'm really not, but it's like, I don't know. Everyone's doing it. They're talking about how great it is. Like, I don't know. I'm going to, I want to try it out. And I do some public hunting from now, every now and again. So I was like, you know, I'm going to try it. Right. What do they always say? Don't knock it till you try right. it. So, um, I'd been hunting out of a saddle a couple of times. I think I made an Instagram post like of me in the saddle. And I was like, I hate myself. I hate, <laughs> I, I hate the person I've become. Right. So, um, so I had met um, Taylor Chamberlain, urban bow hunter, through Scott at HHA at the ATA show, and he, um, you know, works with Tethered. And he messaged me, and he's like, "Hey, dude, are you are you using a Tethered?" And I was like, "No, you know, I'm I'm not. I'm trying a couple different saddles out. I had used the the new Hawk saddle that came out. Uh, I hunted out of an Arrow Hunter saddle." And he's like, "Well, why don't you you know try a Tethered as well?" And I'm like, "Yeah, dude, if you want to you know send me one, I'm not gonna say no. I'd love to try them all." And then like maybe like give a video or a report to people on like what I thought about all the different saddles that I used. Are they really any different from one model to the next? Right. Right. So I hunted Saturday morning and I came home and uh, my wife was like, Hey, you got a package on the doorstep. I thought it was Amazon of course, cause that's like an everyday thing. So I go out there and grab it. And I'm like, Oh shoot, it's a box from tethered. So I opened it up and I was like, Oh sweet man, it's a saddle and a platform and, I was like, okay, cool. So I unpacked it all. I, I, I tried it out and I was like, all right, well, I'm going to, I was planning on hunting out of my arrow hunter saddle that night. And I was like, well, I'll take this thing. Right. I mean, I'm, I just want to try it out anyways. My wife had a hair appointment and if you guys are married and have wives who go get their hair done, you know that it takes like, I, I don't know what they're doing the whole time. Right. Like it's many, it's, it's a many hour process. <laughs> So talking shit on their husbands is what they're doing <laughs> probably my husband's hunting all the time yeah. i'm gonna go get my hair done for four hours <laughs> so my wife left to get her hair done and it was a beautiful weekend so like i did a bunch of work around the house i raked leaves i burned leaves played with the kids um shot my bow a little bit and my wife came home it was like two o'clock right and it's dark at five o'clock now so normally like i'm in a stand by two if i'm gonna hunt this time of year so she gets home at two and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go out for a hunt this afternoon. So threw all my stuff in the truck. I didn't get out to my property until probably two forty by the time I got there. Uh, by the time I packed everything in, found a tree, got in, trimmed out some lames, got everything set up. It was three forty-five on it. Like I pulled up, like when I was ready to shoot and kill a deer, I took out my phone. It was three forty-five, and I was like, damn, I only got an hour and 15 minutes till dark. Like, oh, well it's 72 degrees or whatever. Like, deer probably aren't going to be moving anyways, you know, type of thing. So I'm sitting there and because I had been busy that afternoon, I hadn't checked my cell cameras. So I take out my phone. There's like, I could see a pretty good ways. There's no deer around. I check my cameras and boom, here's this five-year-old buck at one thirty in the afternoon in front of one of my cell cameras. He's coming across a land bridge uh, over one of those irrigation ditches I was talking about. Yeah. And I was like, dang. And I haven't seen this deer in two and a half weeks. And here he is on camera. It's 1.30. And he's a half a mile north of the position where I'm currently set up. 
right? So I'm thinking he's nowhere near near me, right? So I was like, oh, it's nice that the split brow buck is, is back on the farm, you know, and there he was. I put my phone away. So it's about 3.45. About 4.15, my phone beeps, and it says, uh, I got a picture on one of my cameras. Um, so I pull it up, and I look, and lo and behold, it's the same deer. It's the same buck that I just got a picture of, but now he's a half a mile south of me. So the first picture was at 1.30. It was a half mile north of me. The next picture was at 4.15. It was a half mile to my south. So he covered a, a mile of ground, which isn't all that far when you think about it, but it sounds like that's covering a lot of ground in the middle of the day. In 30 minutes, 70. that's a, quite a that's quite a clip. Well, I mean, it was like two and a half hours, right? Oh, Easy oh, day, that's right. right. That's right. Right. So right. it was like 1.30 to about 4.15. That's so, right. But I know where he's at. I know the direction he's headed because he's going up a trail and he's headed north. So he's a half, literally I, I took out hunt stand on my phone and I measured where that camera is to where I'm at. And it's literally like 0.52 miles. And I'm like, well, he's a half a mile away. I got 45 minutes till dark and he's headed north. So there's this, you're telling me there's a chance, right? So luckily for me in between where he's at and where I'm at is for the most part, nothing but almost a half mile of an alfalfa field. So I'm thinking like, okay, well, if he's going to leave the woodlot that he's in, they like to come across that field because it's kind of in a hidden area where they can't be seen. Like, maybe I'll see him. And from where I'm at, I can see the alfalfa field. I can't see the whole thing, but I can see part of it, right? So 15, 20 minutes goes by. I look out in the field, and sure as shit, there he is. He's cutting across the damn field. And he's kind of headed north. I'm like, oh shit! I mean, there he is. And he's pretty far away. And I was, and I think to myself, I should rattle. So I look down. Oh, it didn't bring my rattling antlers. Super smart idea for November seventh. Don't need those anyways. So I'm like, well, he's way too far for me to grunt at this point. He's 350 yards away, something like that. And I watch him walk up the edge of this field to about 200 yards, and then I lose sight of him. Um, I can't, there's a bunch of big, if you know what fragmite or fragmite grasses, it's like this super tall grass and he kind of goes into that and I don't know where he is, but I'm, but I'm, I know the terrain and he's walking the edge of this. I don't know if I should call it a Creek or a pond. It's, it's bigger than a Creek, but it's not quite a pond. And I'm like, well, either he's got to go across that standing water, which he'd have to swim across, or if he keeps walking the edge of it, he's going to basically end up right in my lap. So I'm like, okay, well, let's see what happens. Uh, so I lose sight of him. A couple minutes later, bam, I see him again. He, he's still heading my direction. So I, and at this point, he's maybe 100 yards out. I'm like thinking, shit, like this might actually happen. So he keeps coming, and he gets immediately to my west. And immediately to my west is a big willow thicket. And that willow thicket is always full of rubs. And there's a, there's a trail that comes right through the middle of that willow thicket, but it ends up essentially at the base of the tree that I'm in. So I'm thinking, oh, great. He's going to come right through this. He's going to come straight at me, and I'm not going to have a shot. But as fate would have it, he decided to skirt the north side of the thicket, and he ended up coming right between where I was sitting and the, the pond, which was about a 20-yard gap from me to the water. And he ended up coming by me at like eight yards. Oh boy! And I freaking just absolutely hammered him. He ran like forty yards and fell over dead, like in sight, you know. And I was like, I could not believe that just happened. I'm like, holy shit! That deer covered a half a mile in less than thirty minutes and ended up 
eight yards from my tree. Like, what are the freaking chances of that? Right. I, just nose to the ground the whole time, like searching yeah, for does or, or what? Yeah, nose to the ground and then head up and then nose to the ground and head up. He stopped at one point, worked a licking branch, you know, kind of rubbed his antlers on a tree a little bit. And he would stop and look every once in a while. He wasn't just like walking straight the whole time. He'd stop, look, stop, look. You know, there's not a lot of does on this farm. Um, which I think played to my advantage in this particular case because it's very obvious. Like he was looking for does. Yeah. Right. It's November seventh. He covered in what I know. He went from where he was at. He went a mile south and then turned around and came a half mile back north before I shot him. So I mean, he was just loop making loops through the farm looking for does. Yeah. And because there aren't a lot of them, he was having a hard time finding them, which meant that he had to cover more ground. So kind of worked in my favor. Yeah. So what, what would you say that your stand location was? Was it a pinch point? Was it downwind to bedding? Just like, Uh, what would you say? Probably both. Probably both. But you know, dude, you know me, like I just, I think so often humans like to put our thoughts and our rationale into a deer's mind. Yeah. Like this whole idea of like, these bucks are going to go to the downwind side of the bedding areas. All like, dude, this deer walked a half a mile with the wind at his back. I mean, from where he was at to where I was at, the wind was at his back literally the entire time. Like when they want to go from point A to point B, that's just where they want to go. Yeah. And I don't think they give a shit what direction the wind's blowing in. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I would, I would say like, if I had to, to pick like what type of terrain this was, I would say a bit of a pinch point. I had those standing, you know, water to my north that they will cross it, obviously. I mean, deer will go across lakes if they have to, but it seems like they go around it more than through it. Um, So I had that water to my north. To the south of me was kind of a point of timber, but again, like super thick, nasty buckthorn garbage that like you just can't walk through. So where that point of timber ends from there to the pond is maybe like a 50-yard gap, and it just seems like they work that gap a lot. Um, because I, there's always, there's trails going through it. It's always rubbed up. We found sheds pretty close to there. Uh, I've seen multiple deer doing this, um, travel pattern. So it just seems like when I figured like, if there's a buck out here looking for does, I know that does bed in this general area because I've seen does while hunting there several times this year, I've seen adult does in this area come from this area. So I'm like, well, if there's a buck around, he's probably going to hit this spot at some point in time looking for these does. And he's probably going to pass through this quasi pinch point. Right. That was kind of my reasoning. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, dude. And you smoked him. So it was a really quick recovery and it seems like uh, you got the, the kids involved in it. Now for the listeners, uh, you mentioned he was a five-year-old, but describe, describe his antlers, you know, guesstimate his score so everybody sure. gets a visualization yeah oh god i wish he i could tell you he was 180 inches but he's not he's probably in the mid 140s if i had to guess um yeah. you know As an eight? Far, uh yeah he's a clean well he's an eight with a split brow time so technically okay. a nine okay so r- good mass you know pretty wide not very long times i think as long as time is probably going to be eight eight and a half inches good brows probably six inch brows um just a beautiful deer i mean for, for November 7th, like his coat is amazingly like in great shape. It's not like super long. It's almost short. It's got like a real blonde face, real white, 
markings. Like just an absolutely gorgeous deer. Um, yeah, he'll make a a fantastic mount. So, yeah, I mean, it's weird, you know, there's so many deer and I think we talked about this before, but like not every deer has the potential to be a 180, no matter how old they get, you know, this deer, his four-year-old side that, that Mike brought out for me, we held it up to his five-year-old side. I mean, it almost identical. He gained a little bit of mass, um, maybe a half inch on each tine and maybe an inch on the beam, if I had to guess. But I mean, between his four-year-old and five-year-old antler, like if there's four inches of difference on one side, I'd be amazed. Yeah. You know, he's just, you know, he just didn't, didn't grow a ton from four to five. Definitely heavier. I mean, there's no doubt. Like, mass all the way through he's he's heavier i think that's the one thing that we see when these deer start getting older is is they pack on the mass pretty good even if they don't put on time length right i think uh let's see here last year was the first year 2019 was the first year i i did not have a picture of this buck but from 2000 and i want to say eight until 2018 So for 10 years, I had trail camera pictures. Well, I take that back. It was probably 2010 to 2018, so eight years. I had trail camera pictures of the exact same buck, and he shows up on the farm nocturnal all the time. Like very rarely did he ever show up in daylight, and if it was a daylight, it was early October. Like something. Wait, of the deer that you just killed? Oh, no, no, no. This is, I'm I'm talking about how... Uh, oh, you're just talking about, like, every year you get trail camera pictures of the deer you end up killing. Well, no. And, I'm talking about how the antler size uh, oh, stayed yeah, the got same. It, got it. There yeah. was, like, one year where he may have went up to 150, but every other year he was probably a 148-pointer with split brows. And yeah. the same exact antlers maybe just a different variation or the year he blew up to 150 he had like a a really big split uh brow tine and then like a a split g2 and other than that the same and then he went back down the next year until eventually he just he didn't show up on camera anymore but you're right just like the genetics there were he was meant to be that his entire life yeah well, the other, I mentioned the other five-year-old buck that we're yeah. chasing on that farm. He is literally the same way. Yeah. Um, he's this year, I, I, I saw him and I filmed him earlier this year. He's probably a hundred and yeah, he might touch 140. Yeah. You know, this year as a clean eight pointer, yeah. super wide, um, decent brows, you know, his G2s are like 10 inches. His G3s are almost like four inches, three, four inches, yeah. you know, and he get, he got more massive a little bit wider beams got a little bit longer, but like, again, at five years old, he's a 140 inch deer. I don't think no matter how old that deer gets that he'll ever get a whole lot bigger than he is today. Yeah. Um, we keep hoping that maybe he just grows a drop tine or something, yeah. you know, next year, but then there's other deer. So I referenced my friend, Mike, that killed the other big buck on this farm this year, which was a four year old, right? That deer went from like probably 130 inch, hundred and low one thirties as a three year old to a hundred and seventy inch four year old. Yeah. Just an app like he had blew that up. jump. Yeah, he just blew up. Just absolutely blew up to a freaking giant. You know, but we even knew as a three year old, like that deer's got really good genetics. Like he's 
got the ability to, to blow up. And some of these other deer, you see them and it's just like, you know, like that deer is just, he doesn't have it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like me. I'm just never going to have a six pack. No matter, <laughs> no matter, like I don't have the genetics. So I just gave it's up there. Time, it's there, dude. It's there. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, I'll say this in a way our seasons were similar. I mean, um, other than, you know, not having the, not having the, the second buck tag. I mean, I, I didn't really know what to expect kind of coming into this, uh, this upcoming season. I mean, I, I checked trail cameras in September and that was the last time I uh, checked trail cameras on my main farm. So I was pretty excited to see what was, what uh, showed up on my main farm. And, (laughs) you know, cause I hunted closer to home for, you know, I got back from Michigan and then I didn't do anything for like a week and a half. I didn't even hunt. And then I came out to the farm that's closer. Uh, I had uh, an encounter with like a 140 class four-year-old that I ended up passing at 25 yards. Uh, he was a 10. Um, I passed like three days later. I passed on November or no, it would have been October 30th. I passed another 140 inch roughly uh i guess he he's an eight pointer he could have been a nine it was hard to tell um but with a split g2 uh i think he was a three-year-old some people thought he could be four but i really didn't care about this farm i was just going through the motions because i knew i wanted to get down to my main farm to check my trail cameras and i ended up how far is your main farm from where you live about an hour and 20 minutes if I haul ass. Okay. So okay. that's not terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I never go down there. I never go down there at all. And it really sucks. <laughs> now, now do you have exclusive permission or is there other oh, no. guys there or what's the no, deal? there's other people on this farm and it's not, it's all, all the properties connected, but it's three different landowners. So it's three mm. different landowners and I have permission to bounce between all of it. And okay. so on November. So who the hell keeps stealing your cameras? Yeah, right. Right. Uh, Is it the other guys that have permission or do you think? No, it's, it's not them because I have a good relationship with these guys. And they hunt mostly the other part of the farm and they walk by my trail cameras all the time. And I walk by theirs. Right. right? So this where my tra- trail cameras get stolen is on a part of the farm where only I hunt that I know of anyway. Right. Only I go oh there, but it's closer to a road. It's closer to uh, closer to a couple other acreages. And, you know, over the years, I don't necessarily move them because they're in some really good spots and they just keep going. They keep and it's probably my fault, man. I should. I don't know. I, I, I was I was hot when I when my trail camera battery uh, or my my cell cam battery went dead. And so I called up. You know, sometimes it could be some kind of error. You know, you got to reconfigure the SD card or you have to do some, you know, do some things. So I called up uh, Chad from Exodus. I'm like, hey, man, is my uh, uh, my trail camera still responding? And he's like, no, it seems like the batteries are dead, which could be because I hadn't changed the batteries since early September. And here it is coming into October and I'm getting pictures every single day, multiple times a day. So. 100% 100% could have been that the batteries were dead. Well, 
the first thing I do when I get into town on November, what would have been like second, I hunt close to home in the morning. Then I pack up and I head out for the, uh, to my main farm. First thing I want to do is go down and, and check every single trail camera on the farm just to see what's running around. And I get to the cell cam to, you know, put new batteries in and that fucker's gone. And I was first call was to the DNR officer. And I'm just like, another one's been stolen, blah, 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 blah. I call the landowner and I'm just, you know, telling them all the information and, you know, there's not much they can do. Right. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we could try to put some kind of sting out there, but you know, if it gets stolen, there's no, like, there's no witnesses, you know? So, so, you know, we have a conversation and it's just a, it's a straight up L for me and it just sucks. Right. So here I am, I'm, I'm so pissed. I don't even want to hunt that night. Well, the first thing I do when I, when I get all the SD cards, I go back to, um, my mom and my stepdad both had COVID. They, they tested positive for COVID. So I, I couldn't sleep in the house. I had to sleep in the garage where they hadn't been. And so, so I was sleeping with a dog and a cat on this air mattress in my parents' garage. Uh, cause I couldn't go into their house. Right. So, yeah. So, uh, I checked trail cameras and a lot, you know, as you, I start going in order and it's like, okay, finally a big one shows up two weeks later, he's busted like two, let's, I'm going to say he's a 160 class, 10 pointer, four or five year old, awesome buck, two antlers busted off. And for me, that doesn't interest me. So he gets a pass, right? Check another card. Oh my God, there's another really wide eight pointer. I'm going to, you know, if he's in a round, I know where I can, you know, potentially intercept him two or three weeks later, whole left side's broken off. Oh, Jesus. So my number two and my number three buck are like off limits because their tines are all busted off. Right. So I check one more card at a fence crossing in early October. I, I don't know, uh, my number one buck, the one, uh, there's like a 145 inch deer that I ended up passing last year. Cause I think he was, uh, I thought he was a three-year-old this year. He blows up. He's probably low one seventies and that's my number one buck. That's the buck I want to go after. And so I go back down on note, you know, down to the exact same spot where I had the encounter with him on November 3rd, the previous year. And I saw two deer at last light pop out of this little thicket and walk across the soybean field and go up into another chunk of timber that ultimately leads to the fence crossing where I got a picture of him. So that's, that's kind of how this, my, my rut vacation kind of started is me bouncing around to different areas to try to intercept this buck. You know, I, I waded into a Creek and and I'm, I'm going kind of fast here because there is, there's really no detail into what I was doing. I was, I was hunting pinch points. I was hunting, um, fence crossings, you know, popular trails. I was hunting, uh, and most of my, because of the warm weather, I've always found that I have, if I'm hunting a field edge, it's just not going to happen in warm weather. So 
I sneak into downwind bedding and that's where I have a majority of my encounters for warm weather. And that's what I, I did. I just kind of circulated through multiple bedding areas for five straight days, uh, getting, you know, having some encounters. I passed, uh, uh, a 130 class four-year-old. I passed another 135 class nine. Um, maybe he could have been possibly 140, but I think both of the, those were three-year-olds and, or one was four, one was three. And I, I, I was seeing probably 800 to 120 inch three-year-olds every sit, just like cruising all over the place. And, and, so, and I didn't want to overhunt these areas because the winds were the same for all five of those days, right? And the forecast right, was yeah. 10 straight days of south winds. And I didn't want to go in there multiple times and, and bust and bust and bust because the way that I hunt is I put myself into a position where if a deer is coming through my shooting lane, I'm either going to shoot it or it's going to bust me. You know what I mean? Like yep. I'm, I'm putting myself at, at that wind angle, uh, wind direction, that, that aggressive of a cut on the wind versus the terrain on how they access, you know, come to that area. And so finally, I'm just like, man, I, I, I can't hunt here a morning and a night and then an evening again, uh, or a morning again, or, you know, I got to bounce out and then come back in, check trail cameras, bounce out, come back in. And so I hunted for like three straight days of doing that kind of going to different bedding areas. And then finally towards the end, I was like, man, I got to try something different because I was checking trail cameras that whole time. And just the broken up deer and those younger deer were the only ones on trail camera. So I said to myself, man, I got to get into that, into that drainage where I saw the deer coming you know, where they disappeared into leading up to this fence crossing. And, you know, like, again, this is a short story because there's no real hardcore strategy that led me to what I was, what I, what I ultimately did. And I, I was going to where that drainage or that big draw led up to that fence crossing and then ultimately up to um, a picked bean field where there was a lot of scrapes and uh, that fence crossing where historically that that deer that I passed would run up and down there. And so I'm I, this is November 7th and I walk I am walking I I park my truck 100 yards from where I shot this deer and it, straight up because I didn't want to walk the other 100 yards that where I typically park. So I drive a hundred yards closer and I'm going to, I'm going to go to not the fence crossing, but about a hundred yards down the draw to where there's kind of a turn in this, um, this draw so that my wind goes down into the draw and these deer, they'll, they typically stay up on a high side of the draw. So when they, when that draw takes the turn, they turn with the terrain and then they're almost parallel with me, um, or, uh, I wouldn't say parallel perpendicular. So they cross in front of a shooting lane and my wind is going right over their back. Well, that was the goal for November 7th. And I get out of my truck, put my 
stand on my back. It was going to be a run and gun. And I'm walking down a two track that parallels that draw. And I'm, you know, I look into the draw. My wind's blowing straight into it at this point. And I look to myself, I go, man, that's gotten thick throughout the years. I bet you a deer, you know, I bet you deer live in there, you know, or, or spend some time in there throughout, you know, a course of whatever circuit they're running, whether it's in the morning or in the evening, I take 10 more steps and I see tines come up and then come back down and come back up. And it's a big buck raking a a bush or a, a small little tree. And I got, this is where it, I get straight up lucky because as his head comes up, there is this gigantic oak tree and I take one big kind of a whoop step behind it. And now I'm completely covered. But at the same time, my scent's blowing right at this buck. Now I walk to the tree stand these days with my top of my backpack open and I run my Ozonics the whole time. So I think that may have had something to do with it, but I think a lot, you know, luck had something to do with it as well. So he probably smelled me, but he smelled the ozone. And instead of bolting out there, it, it confused him for a second where he's like, what is that? And it gave me enough time to slip off my backpack, put my release on, knock an arrow. And I sneak, like I just lean out behind this tree and I can see his, his back end. So I range the tree that's in front of him, 19 yards. I range the bush that's behind him. 29 yards so he's in this window of 10 yards and he was a little bit further towards the back of the the window closer to the bush that was that he was at and at that point he was perfectly broadside so I come back up put the rangefinder in my pocket knock you know and at this point I'm shaking so bad that I was, I was missing <laughs> the best my, part. Yeah, I know. Right. I was missing my D loop, trying to connect my release to my D loop. And I was just like, and I had this moment where I said to myself, because at this point I thought it was my number one target, buck. they have, they have really similar, similar characteristics. One's yeah. just, you know, 20 inches bigger than the other one. And so I'm, I'm, I'm shake, you know, I'm shaking. And I say to myself, I close my eyes. I go, dude, don't fuck this up because you won't get another crack at him if you if you blow this. So I I draw back, I step out, and at this point he has now turned almost like he he was getting ready to run away or or to start walking away. So he's hard instead of broadside, he's kind of quartering away at this point, but his nose is in the air like searching right? Like, what is that? What, what is, what's going on? And he turns back and he's looking almost straight down his back. You know what I mean? Like he's hard. Mm-hmm. He's, his body isn't moving, but his neck and his head and neck are, are turned all the way sure. back. So I draw back and I line it up and I just, I take that, that one little, and I let yeah. the arrow go. And he mule kicked. And, you know, typically when that happens, that's, that's a good sign. However, in 2018, I had a mule kick too, but it took me two days to find that deer. So since that day, I've been real hesitant on weight, you know, like immediately going after a deer. 
right? So he does the mule kick. He runs down into this thick, nasty, and he comes up out the other, other side on this cattle pasture. And I see my arrow stuck in him. And it didn't look like it was a pass through at all. It looked like I hit him. It looked like I hit him a little high and forward in the shoulder, which I ultimately did. But my, but I didn't, I got about half an arrow worth of penetration, which is still pretty good. Uh, but, you know, 15, but it came out, there was an exit hole, right? There was, but I didn't yeah, see yeah, that yeah. until I walked up on him. Right. So I didn't think I got the penetration. So I shoot him. He runs off. He goes into the adjacent block of timber. And right as he disappears, and I see his legs start to wobble a bit. But then he he kind of recovers, and he goes into this thicket. And I'm just like, okay, take a deep breath, call some people, back out, and come back with reinforcements to come. So I call my buddy Ben. I say, hey, man, I, I could really use your help. Everybody else who typically tracks with me has COVID, and I don't want <laughs> you know, like I don't want to hang out with them. So he, him and his buddy made the drive up. But in the meantime, I go down to impact where I, I eventually, you know, where I ultimately shot the deer and there was blood everywhere. So I started to follow, I followed it about 50 yards and it was really, really good blood. So I gained all this confidence, you know, sure. just walking that, that short, that short, uh, period or that short distance. And I knew that I hit, I hit a lung because there's bubbles all over the place. And I, at that angle, I'm guessing I, I could have hit trachea or, uh, the carotid artery or, uh, the, what's the, the big one that runs down the neck. I don't know. doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> the neck artery. The neck artery. <laughs> right. Hold so, on. Allow me to Google search the deer anatomy artery names while you're talking. I'll let you know. What's that? Uh, it's not ventricle. The jugular? Jugular. There it is. The jugular. Oh, well, we should know that one. Yeah. So that I think that runs all the way down the, the trachea or whatever. And so I was really like just the angle and knowing the anatomy, I felt really good about it. But I decided sure. to wait anyway. So I go back to the house, wait for reinforcements, meet up with them. And we go back out. And we start tracking and it just starts to open up and find the arrow and we get, we follow the blood and, and and you can see where every breath that this buck took, it was spray, just like just total destruction, to be honest with you. And finally it went from spraying to a leak and from a leak to a pour and then the next thing you know, so it was about a hundred yards from where I shot him to where I found him and, uh, walked up on him. And I realized at that point it wasn't my number one, but it was still a really good deer. And I was like, Oh my God, I, I can't believe that just happened. And I had to laugh because on Instagram and on this podcast, I always talk about this strategy, right? Okay. Try to get downwind here and access this. And, and oh, yeah. you, you know, like all, all, all this sounds cr- great when we talk about it. Right. Right. It sounds makes for some good podcasting. <laughs> right. So my new strategy is make sure you have your release on when you walk to your tree stand, because yeah. like anything could happen. And that did. And, and it's one of those, I kind of prayed for uh, a short season this year because last year it took me 14 days to get the job done and I was prepared to go another 14 days, but you know, I already started 
you know, getting the, Hey, when are you going to be done? What are you doing? What are you seeing text messages from, from the wife? Mm -hmm. And luckily I got out and got the job done and the luck portion of all this kind of played a role this year, which makes me happy because I'm now, I have some doe tags I'd like to fill, but as far as the hardcore hunting aspect of it, it's done now. And, um, I'm actually looking at the rack on my, on my table right now. And I'm just really jacked and excited. That was the first I've never shot a deer out of a ground blind or from the ground. This is the first deer I've ever shot from the ground. That's awesome, dude. It's a blast. Yeah. I love hunting off the ground. I used to, I grew up hunting off the ground. The first, I don't know how many deer I killed were that way. It was like foreign when I first started hunting out of a tree stand. I was like, what is this crap? Yeah. You know, I used to just wander around the woods and kick out some leaves next to a tree and pop a squat and shoot anything that walks by. Right. You know, so that's how I started uh, too, blast, but dude. I was never successful doing it. And <laughs> right. And I probably wasn't, my, my equipment probably wasn't as honed back then as it is now. So, yeah. uh, I missed a lot of deer. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. Same here. And, so, uh, I, I tell you what, so, it just, well, uh, I want I want to talk real quick about your gear setup. Yeah. What, uh, what broadheads and arrows are you shooting? Okay. So I was using the jackhammer from wasp and I'm going to tell you right now, I've killed more deer with that broadhead on my arrows than any other broadhead I've ever used. Now I've bounced around throughout the years. I think I've shot some slick tricks. I've shot some NAPs, but the, the wasp jackhammer was like one of the first heads that I've ever bought in. And I just keep coming back to it. And and full disclosure, they're a partner of this podcast now, but it's because I've had such great success with them throughout the years. Oh, Dan, you can't sell out, sell out. (laughs) They're paying you to say that. Right. Right. And, uh, and then, okay. So you're shooting, you're shooting a, a three, it's a three blade, right? Mechanical. Yep. Three blade mechanical. Okay. What, what arrows are you shooting? Uh, the day six, dude, I love those arrows. Those arrows are slick, dude. Like I'm driving a Mack truck of an arrow. I think this year I was shooting, I'm shooting somewhere around 530 grains. Um, and those are amateur numbers, bro. Oh, get out of here. What are you shooting? Like 420? So, so sub 600 grains in a mechanical broadhead. You know, Dan, <laughs> if you were shooting an 800 grain, uh, it still wouldn't broad, be enough you know, for some people. <laughs> with a single bevel, your deer would have died in 87 yards instead right. of 100 yards. Right. Uh, and you would be a better bow hunter. Right. So you're going to have to really rethink that setup for next year. Right. Son. I know. I, and I apologize <laughs> to you and the listeners for being a failure at, at gear, no, talking gear. It, I, I'm not going to say it's a child arrow, <laughs> you know, but it's probably more like a tween. Tween, uh, yeah. Tween arrow, the tweener, <laughs> you know. Not quite an adult yet. Right. So, so um, as far as as far as the shot was concerned, I did hit front like front side lung, and yep. I think trachea and jugular. So yeah, yeah, yeah. When I saw your picture, I saw the exit hole. Yeah, I'll, and I was like, "Oh, Dan Johnson, Judy chopped to the throat." Yeah, but at that, he was kind of he was angling a little bit harder than what I typically what right. You but know, I didn't what he realize was. that was the that was the exit. 
Yeah. I'll take that exit all day long. I thought you throat punched him. Oh man. From the front. And this is good. Apparently that's the new thing to do. And I'll tell you, watch the internet, just shoot him head on. I'll tell you right now, if he's head on at 10 yards, I'll take that shot. Oh yeah, I would. Yeah. I'm telling you that that's the new thing now. Oh, you have to call your shots now. Well, the new thing is if you shoot a heavy enough arrow with a badass broadhead, doesn't matter what angle they're at, man. You just kill them at anywhere. Shot angle? What's that? Who's that one guy who says shoot him in the middle and find him in the morning? <laughs> I don't know, but that's a great thing. I like that one. That needs to be a t-shirt. Right? There you go. Shoot him in the middle, find him in the morning. Uh, oh, that's hilarious. Uh, I don't know who says that, but whoever made it up, that guy's hilarious. I think that was, I, I think that's what one guy said at that, the uh, rage broadhead slogan should be. Uh, it should be. So I always like the, it's like throwing an ax through an animal. <laughs> I was like, who came up with that? And it, hon- honestly, know. who, who threw an ax at a deer once? I want to know. I, I want to meet that guy. Clearly somebody cause ax throwing ants big nowadays too. Yeah. Before you know it, people are going to be hunting deer with the axes. Yeah. Well, so well, I am also shooting a mechanical broadhead. Don't say that on the internet, Dan. Everybody will tell you that we are failures for shooting mechanical broadheads. Uh, um, I'm it. shooting an Easton Axis this year yeah. with a brass insert, so I'm also right about 500 grains, okay, give or take. I think I'm like 503, something like that. Yeah, with a uh, an NAP Spitfire. Yeah. triple x so a two inch you know three blade mechanical same basic design yeah you know broadhead is what you're shooting actually i take that back that's what i shot my first deer with was a spitfire uh i shot this deer the other day my second buck uh with a kill zone max actually are those the ones so, with the little bleeder blades on the tip um no the kill zones it just has a regular chiseled tip on it but the kill zone max is like a two and three eighths ah, gotcha. cut two blade um, so it's a correct opening. So like a rage, like similar, like it opens that way instead of the over the top broadhead. Yeah. Um, and I freaking damn near cut his heart in half, Yeah. but I did not get a complete pass through. So, um, I guaranteed somebody on YouTube when my hunt airs will be like, <laughs> you need to get better broadheads, bro. Yeah. That I- like, I know that the deer died in 40 yards and his heart was chopped in half and it <laughs> left a blood trail that an eight year old could follow. But if you would have been using a heavy arrow with a single bevel broadhead, it would have also killed, like, I don't know, a deer in China when it passed <laughs> through the earth because of all the, the shock wave would have killed it. <laughs> yes. The shock wave would have killed every deer within a half mile radius. It's just, dude, I cannot believe the brainwashing of the people on the Internet with the arrow thing these days. Uh, like, it is insanity to me. Like, people you get to a are, point crazy i understand but you get to a point where none of that just matters to me anymore like i i just all of it gets drowned out i only care about what i'm doing and i love talking about gear you know i have the we do the gear hunting uh the deer yeah i love gear too dude gear's great yeah love talking about hunting gear gear podcast but at the at the at the same time like i don't sit here and criticize people for what they're shooting. Now, if a guy tells me he's shooting, like, I don't know what, what, what's a, what would be a grain arrow and a two, two inch mechanical and I can't get any penetration. Right. Right. I might, I might say, Hey man, you might want to step your game up a little bit, you know? Oh dude, Uh, speed is king. Speed is king. Yeah. What, what I don't get is like when you shoot a deer 
like I, I see it on like a lot of our, our videos that we air, you know, we have guys that shoot deer and they don't get a pass through. Right. Or I guess what def, I've always defined a pass through as two holes. If there's two holes, they yeah. don't pass through whether it came out the other side and stuck in the ground or not. Like it doesn't matter. Two holes to me is a pass through, which it only takes what 14 inches, maybe a penetration to, to get two holes in a, in a whitetail. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're not that wide. Um, but like you could, you could shoot a deer and, it'll run 60 yards and flop over dead in front of you. And people will be like, bro, didn't get a pass through better, better, better rethink your arrow and broadhead combination. I was like, dude, the deer literally died in 60 yards. It's like, it's dead. I could see it dead on the ground. Yeah. The only purpose of me going hunting is to kill this deer. Yeah. And I just accomplished my goal. Whether the arrow came out and went 50 feet on the other side of the deer makes zero difference to me. Yeah. At all. The first, the first buck I shot this year, you know, he was coming up a trail at about 25 yards. And when I bleated to stop him, he stopped and he kind of like shifted his body toward me a little bit to, to look for the sound. And my shot was exactly where I wanted it to be. It was right behind the shoulder, just below mid body. It was exactly what I wanted. Um, but he was quartered to me a little bit when I shot him. So I shot him, he ran like 40 yards and he stopped. And I was like, okay, he's going to tip over right there. I've seen this before. And then like a minute goes by and then two minutes go by. And I'm like, okay, clearly I didn't get both lungs. Otherwise he would have been dead by now. Right. So I'm watching him with the binoculars. His head's kind of hanging down there. His mouth's open. Um, and I could see the entrance hole. And he's only 40 yards, maybe 60 yards away at this point. And I'm watching with my binos. I'm like, well, this deer is definitely going to die. But I obviously didn't get two lungs. He ends up bedding down. He gets up, kind of stumbles off, beds down again. I ended up leaving. I came back a couple hours later. He had gotten up and bedded one or two more times before he died. He only went maybe 120 yards total. Um, good blood the whole way. I ended up getting near side lung, liver, and then came out like the front of the guts on the far side. Yeah. And, um, you know, not the ideal shot that you want, but, I mean, clearly, a, you know, a lethal shot. And people were like, bro, you need to get better broadheads. That deer would have died quicker. I'm like – Dude, it's because I shot him in one lung in the liver. It has nothing to do with the broadhead. It was like it's all about shot placement. Like I had a two-inch mechanical broadhead, and the hole on the on the opposite side where it came out was big enough I could have damn near put my fist into it. Yeah, you know. And when I when I have a shot like that, I want a big mechanical. I don't want a little fixed blade head on a on a single lung liver shot. I want to cause as much damage as possible. But it's just yeah. crazy that everybody seems to believe that the solution to their problems. It's not shot placement or shot distance or anything. <laughs> it is literally your arrow. Like if something doesn't look right or doesn't go right, you need a different arrow. Right. It's like, no, you just need to shoot them in the heart and the lungs. Right. And that's the problem. I uh, will say this, and I've caught some grief for, for saying this in the past, but I have double livered a deer before. And it's got two livers. Well, it's got, you know how I think those livers lay over top of the deer. And I don't know if it, is it on one side, but I thought yeah, like, it's usually like, on, I think it's on their left side. Okay. Mostly. Well, whatever. Um, maybe I just, uh, made myself sound like a jackass there. <laughs> I know. I, I know the two, you double livered them. Yeah. Arrow double shade went through it twice. The old double out. liver shot. Anyway, <laughs> last year, one long liver. 20 yards he hunched up fell over dead um yep. 2017 
uh, smoked that deer through the liver, hunched up 40 yards dead. Dude, liver shots are deadly and they bleed out really, really fast. Um, and if I, especially with a bigger mechanical, yeah, you know, but, but so much of it depends on exactly where you hit it in the liver, liver, just like the lungs. Right. I mean, if you, there's certain areas of the lungs that are far more deadly than other areas that have a lot of other arteries and veins and things running through them. Um, so they're going to bleed better. They're going to die quicker. You know, that's why you could shoot a deer. If you shoot them, you know, high lungs, high back lungs, a lot of times they'll run 150 yards, 200 yards and die. You know, you get them low or center lungs. A lot of times it's 50 or a hundred yards, right? I mean, it's both a lung shot, but the damage that you do is significantly different depending on where you hit it within that organ. And a liver is, is certainly no different. Yeah. Right. So depending on where you get them in the liver and through the diaphragm and you always keep in mind, right. There's other arteries and veins and stuff that run through there that you're getting as well that a lot of times you don't even see when you, when you clean a deer out. Yeah. I tell you what, man, I'm in the business of trying to kill deer, right. Not discuss exactly where and how they need to die. I mean, obviously like that sounds, (laughs) that's, that sounds bad. That sounds bad, but clearly you haven't been on the internet much, Dan. Yeah. Well, because that's all that we do. Right. Is judge each other on like, my goal is to, like you said, kill an animal. And I want to put my broadhead in the lungs, in the heart, you know, in a main vein, you know, I'm not taking ass shots. You know, I'm not trying to, you know, sure. you know, I'm not purposely trying to, um, like, you know, here's a perfect example. They did a study a while back that said that for every, for every, let's see, for every buck or no, for every deer, a bow hunter kills, he wounds one and doesn't recover it. And that's, a, that's the law of average. So all bow hunters combined will shoot one deer, will not recover it and then shoot another one and find it. So 50% of all deer that they shoot will not be recovered. Meanwhile, gun hunters, one out of every 14 deer, they will lose. Yeah, I don't know, man. I question that statistic. Hey, I, I'm just I'm just repeating what I heard, and I don't have a – I can't I can't. Yeah, I mean, sometimes that, our beliefs are biased because they're they're based on, like, maybe, like, the people that we associate ourselves with. Right. And because, like, we, we do this for a living, like, we tend to associate with people that take it very seriously. So we, we maybe practice more, take better shots. I don't right. know. But, like – I mean, I got 22, 24 guys on my team, and I could tell you it is not a one-for-one ratio yeah, on the yeah. amount of deer that are lost versus killed. It's not even close. Right. You know, I could even think of myself personally, not that I've never lost a deer. I've certainly lost my fair share of them, but it, shit, it ain't it ain't anywhere close to a, a one-to-one ratio. Right, right. Yeah, well, again, that lumps, that lumps again, in all I hunters. I all know – yeah, I was just going to say, I think we all know or have heard stories of people that have lost two, three, four, five deer in, in a season. Yeah. You know, so mm, I don't know. Maybe it works out to that number. I certainly don't want to be that guy, though. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why we practice and fine tune our equipment and all that stuff. So, yes, sir. Yeah. Well, hey, man. But I will say, my to your point, like when I go hunting and the whole arrow and broadhead thing, like, the contest here isn't 
a penetration contest. This isn't how far can I penetrate an arrow into a deer? It's how quickly can I kill a deer? Yeah. And the amount of penetration that it takes to do that is not 30 inches or 28 inches of arrow plus 10 feet on the other side. It's literally like, let's say 14 inches, sometimes less. Yeah. You know, again, I go back. I mean, I just shot this deer the other night. Unfortunately, I didn't weigh him because I didn't have a scale at home that night. And it was so damn hot. I needed to get him cut up and processed the, the early the next morning. Um, so I didn't have a chance to weigh him, but I guarantee you he was well up north of 250 on the hoof. Yeah. Um, just an absolute tank of a deer. Yeah, he's I a did not get it passed through. But on that on that entry, um, my broadhead was horizontal and not vertical. So it went through um, actually two ribs on the way in because it was so wide. I mean, it was created almost a three-inch wide hole on the entry. So it actually went through two ribs on the way in, both lungs, cut the heart in half, cut two ribs on the opposite side, and then the tip of the broadhead like poked through the flesh on the other side, but the blades never came through. Yeah. So technically, I did not get a pass-through shot, um, but it was like somebody sprayed a paint oh, yeah. bucket of blood for 40 yards, and I watched him tip over. So, I mean... Yeah. Shot placement is so much more important than how much your damn arrow weighs. Yeah. And I just, I just, I wish guys as hunters would focus more on becoming better hunters, meaning finding the deer, getting close to the deer, you know, wor worry about shot placement, worry about practicing with your equipment more. Like there's so many things we can be doing with our time that are so much more effective to making us better and more lethal bow hunters than obsessing over you know, how much your arrow weighs and what your FOC is. And that's all great stuff. I mean, I love that people obsess over gear because I'm a gear geek as well. I think gear is super, super cool. But what I hate to see is this trend towards like heavy arrows can fix anything, can fix your problems. It's oh, the cure yeah. to what ails you. When what ails you is like making a good shot and getting close enough so that you're not having to take 40 and 50 and 60 yard pokes at these animals. Yeah, You get them within within 30, within 20, within 10, right? You're a hell of a lot better off. And there's a lot more work that can be done to improve yourself as a hunter and not have to worry about like, do I have enough arrow velocity or momentum to run an arrow clean through a deer from front to back and then pierce through a tree on the other side. <laughs> and chop it I down. I just yeah. like, it just, it just frustrates me. Like it, it just, I, pet I don't peeve. know. They're, pet peeve. It's just like, it is a pet peeve. My yeah. last thing I'll say I want to talk about saddles real quick. I think they're, they're, they're cool. I like them. I think they have their place. I'm still getting used to it. I still don't think it's better than a hang on to be completely honest with you. And maybe yeah. I'm biased because I've been using hang ons for so long and I'm pretty dang good at getting them up there in a tree. And, and I like hunting out of them. Um, I probably hunted out of a saddle six or seven times this year, various different ones with different platforms and, tree types and stuff. And I don't think they're bad. I, don't, I was never really uncomfortable or anything like that, but I don't know. It just like, it didn't hit me as like, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread and yeah. I'm giving up tree stands. Yeah. Like I just, it's, it's, and I keep thinking like, am I missing something? Like, cause I talked to these other guys and they're like, dude, I sat in a saddle once and never went back to a tree stand. And I'm over here going like, I don't know, man, I kind of like my tree stands. Yeah. I know. I kind of like, sitting in a, in a good lone wolf alpha like it's kind of nice yeah i'll so. agree man i i i have my reservations about uh saddles 
Um, but I've also had some people say, dude, you got to give it a try. And uh, honestly, I haven't given saddles a fair try. Uh, just cause I, I guess I'm stubborn and don't really want to. I'm, I'm in a groove right now with my gear and refining my run and gun setup. And sure. it is easy for me. And I don't got to worry yeah. about, you know, swinging around in a tree if a deer comes from my backside and all this other shit, you know, just like yeah, up, up and mean, in it. So, yeah, dude, I just, I don't know. I'm torn. I, yeah. I'm not going to say I don't dislike it, but I also like, I, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like, am I missing something? Yeah. Like, am I just the weirdo out there? Like, am I the only guy that's hunted out of one and been like, okay, this thing's all right, but uh, I kind of want to go hunt off a tree stand too. Like, yeah. I, 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 I don't know. Um, I'm going to keep doing it for a while. Like sometimes I say, you know, I might be biased. I've been hunting on a lone wolf stands for 15 years. I've hung thousands of them. I think I'm pretty damn good at it. I'm quiet. I'm fast. I'm efficient. You know, I like hunting out of them. Um, the deer that I shot the other night ended up being directly on the opposite side from where I thought I was going to shoot a deer. So I had to like, um, spin around and shoot behind me and film it, uh, which out of a saddle is a bit of a challenge. Um, but luckily, like, like a lot of people, I watched a lot of YouTube videos before I did the whole saddle thing. And I watched a couple videos that I think it was DIY sportsman made about like filming out of a saddle and how to shoot to the weak side and everything. And like, I am seriously glad he made those videos and I watched them because it really helped me figure out what I was doing, especially like under pressure. Um, cause I watched my GoPro video from overhead when I shot this deer and I'm like, I could see myself trying to figure out like, how in the hell am I going to spin around and shoot to this side of the tree? And I, like, I tried one thing and it didn't work. And then I, I was like, oh yeah, I gotta do this. And you know, I got it all kind of figured out. So I don't know. I mean, it was cool to shoot a deer out of a saddle. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was neat. It was a cool, like my experience, kind of like your experience of shooting one from the ground. Like that was your first time. So it was like, Hey, that was, that was pretty cool. That's something I haven't done before. Uh, so it was, it was neat. Cool. Well, this is where we say goodbye, my friend. Congratulations on, uh, being tagged out and, uh, Thanks, buddy, you too, man. successful season, I'd say. And, uh, good luck with whatever you're doing, you know, later in the, later this year. And, uh, man, we'll definitely have you back on again. Sounds good, buddy. Thank you. I appreciate everything. Congratulations. It was a hell of a deer you killed. Great story. Good shot. I'm proud of you. That's awesome. <laughs> Love it. And there you have it. Huge shout out to Justin. Huge shout out to you, the listener, man. I really appreciate each and every one of you. And if you haven't found success in the timber yet, I'm sending all the good vibes across the entire nation, even to the guys down in the South who haven't even started their rut yet. So good luck to each and every one of you. Hopefully you guys success, uh, you know, you find success where, wherever you want to find it, whether it's filling the freezer, shooting the first thing that walks by you or, uh, holding out for something big, man. Uh, good luck, have fun. And uh, if you can get the kids out, man, get the kids out. Even if it's just to, uh, you know, follow a blood trail. Now be sure you guys are subscribed to the sportsman's nation and the nine finger chronicles podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and, uh, follow, you know, get outside of your comfort zone a little bit and take a listen to some of the other podcasts on the network because I really think that uh, if you just listen to me that's great but there's tons of other great content on the Sportsman's Nation as well that I think you guys would really enjoy so uh, get out there go launch some arrows at some deer 
in an obviously ethical and safe manner. And uh, send me your pictures on Facebook because I love to see the success that all of you guys are having. Be safe, have fun, and we'll talk to you later. Thank you.